You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 422 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan, and tonight both Eric and Dan are off, I don't know, hunting down a witch in the woods to go steal her turkey or something, which really only makes sense if you know that we just finished up our uh, folk horror series and it is almost Thanksgiving. But tonight I'm here with very, very special guests, Abby Horton and Ryan Dickey. Say hello. Hello. So I am super happy to have y'all back. It has been five months-ish since we've talked, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, um, I think we saw you during Chattanooga Film Festival. We've had a summer getting Blow Up My Life out into theaters. We played at over a dozen cities, um, including AMC theaters. So we had this kind of miraculous release for such a small film um and now our film's coming out on demand tomorrow on apple tv amazon prime and vimeo on demand so it's been a very busy last few months (laughs) it has um and yeah i I probably should have said that when i introduced you uh the two of you are the uh are the filmmakers that made blow up my life um remind me who did what writing directing producing the the, like 20 different hats that you all wore yeah yeah we wrote it together directed it together produced it together edited it together (laughs) and i was also the cinematographer yeah, so lots of lots of things that y'all did with Blow Up My Life. And and yeah, we did the QA during Chat Film Fest and had so much fun. I yeah. I, I, I love doing the QAs. I love a chance to, you know, like get to meet with the filmmakers and really pick their brains about the about the the work that they create. Because that's what I like to do. I like to really go in depth. Uh and for anyone who was at Chat Film Fest, hopefully they caught the the virtual QA. But for anyone who is not at Chat Film Fest, you're in luck because that's what tonight's episode is. <laughs> this is finally uh, a few months after the Film Fest, the release of the Q&A for Blow Up My Life from Chattanooga Film Festival 2023. Uh, and we're just doing a new intro because, uh, as Abby said, uh, it's coming out on VOD tomorrow at the time of this recording. At the time of this releasing, it came out a few days ago. Hopefully it only came out yesterday. <laughs> um but time here yeah exactly at the time of this recording at least it is coming out in uh in just a few hours um but yeah wanted to to check in with y'all and see how things were going to see how the movie was doing uh and make sure to give anyone who was not at chat film fest you know just a, a quick snippet of why they need to watch the movie and then why they need to come back and listen to this q a because we get into spoilers like real quick we treat the q a well, as if it had been, uh, you know, like an, an in-person Q&A to where the people who were listening to it or watching it had just watched Blow Up My Life. 
So yeah. we dive into spoilers pretty quick. So if you are spoiler averse, make sure to watch Blow Up My Life first. If you are like me and don't really care, like if you know the ending's like, okay, well, now I'm just on a slightly different experience, uh, then stick around because, uh, because again, spoilers real quick. So for anyone who has not yet gone out and checked out Blow Up My Life, what do you want the general audience to know about what the movie is and why they need to watch it. Uh, the, the the way that I've asked this in a few other um, post fest interviews is what is your film fest lobby pitch? So rather than like an elevator pitch, you're, you're at a film fest, you're out in the lobby and someone's like, Oh, what should I check out next? What are you going to say in that? Like 30 seconds to convince them. This is why you need to go watch our movie. It's, um, a very darkly funny and entertaining ride about the absurdities of our profit-driven healthcare system uh, and the opioid epidemic. So if you didn't think that could be a fun time, well, then you need to check out Blow Up My Life. Um, it contains uh, a twist on the whistleblower um, Purdue Pharma story, and the score is so amazing it is just it is this kind of synth 80s uh wave we're riding the whole time um and it's it's really been described to us back to us which has been fun to hear as a wild ride um so that's why you should go check it out and because this was a very indie film that we self-produced self-distributed and if you want to support indie film, this is a perfect film to do it with. And uh, your VOD um, rentals and purchases help make uh, us, the filmmakers and our cast and crew, um, you know, able to go out and make more movies. So please come support us. Yeah, definitely, definitely support indie artists. Uh, but I adore indie films. I love, I just love that people create things. And so, you know, not every movie is necessarily going to be for everyone, but in my opinion, indie movies are for more people because you are directly helping support the indie artists rather than, you know, just throwing cash into a giant money-making machine. So, uh, so yeah, I, I always love supporting indie artists. Um, and, and I really enjoyed the film. Like when, when Chris asked what I do the Q and a, I was like, D -d -d yes. And it was, it was such a fun film. There were several moments that I remember like laughing out loud. Uh, it was, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and it also had a lot of the like political intrigue, uh, crime thriller tropes that, that I feel like worked really well. Um, I, I remember us talking about this during the Q and a, I want the sequel there. Thank there must you. be a sequel <laughs> because I want, I not just want, I need that film. I need there to be a sequel to this. I love it. I'm so glad you're still thinking about it. Yes. And still are lobbying for a sequel. We've had a lot of encouragement to think about and dream about a sequel from a lot of people that have watched it. So um, it's very encouraging. And we've already been brewing ideas <laughs> just a little bit. Well, because it is a very self-contained story. It doesn't need one. Like it's not, it's not like you're intentionally cutting things off to, you know, you're, you're not doing the JJ Abrams kind of thing where it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a story. I'm going to give you a prelude for, the next story you're not doing that you have a complete story it it wraps up it finishes you know you're not left wanting at the end 
it's also true that the way that y'all ended things, I can so easily see how it could go into a sequel. And and again, again, (laughs) I'm I'm not I'm not spoiling. (laughs) I'm just saying the way that it ends, I could very easily see how it can lead directly into a sequel. And and again, I, I need that movie because it just it would be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. glad. All right. Enough of me rambling. Um, where let's let's just go through some of the uh, just the quick you know um, updates and social media handles and all of that self promotional stuff before we kick it over to to the uh, the Q and A episode. So what um, we'll, just, we'll just start with that. What are the what are the social media handles that y'all want people to follow you and or the film? You can follow us on Instagram at blow my life underscore movie. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at B U M L underscore movie and TikTok. TikTok. Blow up my life underscore movie. Yes. We're on all of them. And then you can find our individual social media handles within the movies yeah. uh, overall handle. And then, yeah, tomorrow on the 21st, it'll be on Vimeo on Demand, Apple TV slash iTunes and Amazon Prime Video. So hopefully that covers it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly hope so. Uh, and any anywhere else that you want to direct people, like uh, any sort of websites or newsletters that they can sign up for, anywhere else that you want to make sure to direct people to uh, okay. to stay up to date on any announcements regarding Blow Up My Life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll definitely keep it all you know up to date on our social medias, but if you go to blowupmylife.com, um, you can sign up for our newsletter. Um, you can email us and say how much you adored the film. Uh, Another exciting aspect of the release is that uh, the soundtrack will be coming out on December 1st on all streaming services. Nice. Yeah. So people can get their intrigue even, uh, even when they're not watching the intrigue. Um, And then let's see um, anything else that you want people to know about the film or about the Q and a, uh, that we did. Mm, the film stars Jason Selvig and Devram Stiefler, who are in the political comedy duo The Good Liars. So, if you're fans of them, that would be a huge reason to come check them out in this. Um, and it also stars Kara Young, who's currently in Curly Victorious on Broadway. She's a two time Tony nominee and is also in Boots Riley's I'm a Virgo. She's amazing in this. So, the whole cast is really phenomenal. Um, and you will love it. You're going to love this movie. What can we say? You're going to love it. <laughs> I oh, also look for a cameo by me. <laughs> Surprise cameo. It That really works uh, in an in audio medium where people can hear your voice but not see your face. So yeah. I don't speak in the movie, so you'll really have no idea. But keep an eye out anyway. You'll know. You'll sense it. You might feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, yes, I, I can fully concur. It is, it, it, it's a blast of a movie. I had so much fun with it. So, so glad that it's uh, been having a good reception. Love the fact that it played, uh, you know, in, in, I love the fact that it played in AMC and theaters across the country and now is going to be out VOD so everyone can have a chance to have as much fun as I did. So with that, um, let's go ahead and dive into the Q&A, Q&A episode that we recorded back at Chattanooga Film Festival 2023. Hello from the Chattanooga Film Festival 2023. I'm Nathan. 
I'm Eric. I'm Dan. And we are the Video Monsters. And tonight, we're going to be blowing up your life with questions as we discuss, well, blow up my life, uh, with writers and directors, Ryan Dickey and Abigail Horton. Uh, Abby, Ryan, say hello. <laughs> we are so glad that you're joining us. Uh, we, we all really love this movie. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. Thank you for making a movie that we love so that it's actually easy to talk about it and to really dive into uh, to some of the things that make this movie so great. Um, but before we start getting into those questions, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourselves and the uh, the journey that your movie has been on so far? That's been quite the journey. Yeah. Um, so we're married um, and met making films um, on set. Um, and so we've always worked together. And then it was um, May 2020. Yeah, we, uh, you know, just like everyone else, when the pandemic hit, everything kind of shifted and stopped. And we had to kind of take stock of what we were working on and figure out what what to do next. So we um, decided to sort of look back at some of the projects that we had been developing. And um, this project sort of seemed like something so impossible to make during the pandemic that it almost like created a, a challenge of like, well, how would it be possible? Um, you know, like, can we take something that typically would be like a very kind of larger scale sort of like action sort of, you know, multi-layered intrigue thing and take it onto kind of a suburban level rather than a international, international scale. Yeah. Um, and so, we had a kind of initial draft that I've been working on for a little bit. And then we decided to take the resources that we had, um, which at the time we were living in New York and um, Abby's from Connecticut and her family is there. And we went and stayed with her parents and hunkered down, put all our stuff in storage and wrote the script. And luckily everybody that a lot of the people that we work with um you know our crew people and some actors including jason um you know we're all available and not working at the time so it's kind of like a lot of doors shut but then a couple windows opened and made it possible for the production to come together in a very unlikely way and we shot in uh october 2020. Mm -hmm. how long uh how long was the shoot it was 18 days um was that and it? Yeah, and we only had wow. nine people on our crew because um, we really wanted to keep it super small and potted and safe. Um, so it, we, you know, small but mighty, as they say. Yeah, everybody wearing multiple hats, and you know, again, like I was saying, we we worked with a lot of the people that we brought on the crew before, so there was already this shorthand and and camaraderie, and it was definitely like a sleepaway camp type of vibe, um, you know, with everyone. And I think at the time, like, especially for people living in New York, like, you know, they were so happy to come out of the city and, you know, be in nature a little bit more and, um, you know, just spend time with friends. And I mean, like one of the best nights, once all of our, we were all potted and fully quarantined, we all got together and like watched a movie and, you know, we hadn't, none of us had done that in months and months and everybody went apeshit and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 18 days. That is just an insane shoot. Uh, you know, Chris keeps talking about chat film fest as summer camp for cinephiles mm. and, um, you know, an, an 18 day, it's like, yeah, that's two and a half weeks. That feels like summer camp. So 
that definitely is uh, right on brand with the fest. Um, yeah. So before we start diving into these questions, uh, because a lot of the things that you've mentioned, those tie in perfectly to the things that we really want to focus on. But before we start diving in, just a little bit of a disclaimer for anyone listening. We're approaching this Q&A as if we had all just finished watching this movie together. Uh, so there's going to be spoilers. Like literally our second question addresses the very end of the movie because we just have to ask about it. That's, that's where uh, all of our focus went to uh, very early on. So if you're watching this before watching Blow Up My Life, uh, just let us say that we love this movie. It's an incredible balance of humor and corporate thriller. There's some great actors that really bring you into the movie and some very artful technical skills on display. So if you've not seen Blow Up My Life, seriously, go watch it right now and then come back and uh, listen to us prattle on about it uh, for as long as we were allowed. Um, all right. So with that out of the way, with all the spoilers, because again, we're going to spoil uh, the tone of this movie is very clearly a comedy, you know, from bits uh, like the opening monologue, you know, before I stick my nose up this trouble's butt or uh, no, but before I stick my dick, no, no, like there's so much comedy that hits you right from the very beginning. Um, but so, so it very clearly has a comedic tone, but it's all played so straight. You know, like to the point where I legitimately could see this being a Tom Cruise movie based off of a John Grisham story. So this is a two part. And I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Like first couple of minutes I was like, oh, I could totally see Tom Cruise. So then when you make the Tom Cruise joke later, I was laughing my ass off. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, oh, especially in profile, Jason really has a Tom Cruise. I, I also kept waiting for him to run. And thank you for having him run. And at least. <laughs> uh, so so a two part question. Why the decision to make a movie more in line with, you know, political thrillers or corporate thrillers rather than just an outright comedy? And how did you balance the tone so that it didn't start becoming a farce, you know, so that it didn't start straying into the ter territory of like Zoolander or MacGruber or Top Secret? All great movies, but not the tone of, of what this movie is. So how did you balance that? Well, I think... Initial, the initial sort of seed of the idea came from maybe more of a, I guess, sort of serious place and thinking about the opioid crisis and, you know, corporate conspiracy and corporate malpractice and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, for me personally, like addiction and, and drugs and all of that has been a topic that's personally close to me from loved ones losing their lives, ruining their lives, et cetera. Um, and so it's been something that I've been really, you know, interested in and I've addressed sort of in my previous work. Um, and before it was a little bit more focused on the people suffering from addiction. And in this case, I kind of wanted to show from a, the other side from sort of inside the machine a little bit and sort of shine a light a little bit more on the complacency of, you know, the people working there, whether they're even aware of it in the moment or not. And, and Jason, I think is a really interesting character to kind of keep dissecting because I think he wants to do good. You know, he maybe got in and had sort of somewhat conflicting sort of ideologies that he's moving with, but, um, you know, ultimately he gets caught up and has to be woken up many times <laughs> to sort of really get on the right track and, and kind of give up, you know, some of the, the spoils, I guess, of that lifestyle. 
and um, you know, hoping in some way that that's that's maybe the the people that I'm I'm hoping, you know, feel like this movie speaks to them in some way, you know, is that's a bit more where the power lies, I guess, and so kind of starting there, but then also realizing that we didn't want to make something that was just a big essay film yeah. either. It, it needed to be entertaining. And I all spinach in the popcorn, spinach in the popcorn, we like to say, and, uh, you know, Jason, I always had Jason in mind for this role from the very beginning. Um, we worked with him before um, on some other shorts and he's just such a, you know, his political ideology um, and his boldness in his work with Devram Stiefler as the good liars. Um, you know, they do such such amazing stuff um, and bring a comedy edge to it that I think is really effective. And then I think brings people in that wouldn't maybe necessarily just listen to something that is, you know, straight up sort of like critique of corporate culture. So that's kind of the, the, foundation of it and then as we got you know bringing in more characters to try and build out the dynamic with jason and, and bringing in devram as a great foil for him and stuff i think that's where some of the the comedy really started to come out and and i think the hope is that the extremes of the drama and the comedy kind of like keep the tension you mm -hmm. know taut the whole time and keep the audience kind of on a more edgy roller coaster you could say well, it really leads into that whole, uh, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Yeah. Where, um, just from a personal note, I, I am a middle school teacher, and the thought of a vape and an app that tells you when to vape is the worst nightmare I could possibly think of. Yeah, but you yeah. can see it happening. Yeah. Too. No, so of course it's a success. Of course yeah. it's an incredibly successful yeah. app. Yeah. Which then with a lot of the stuff that stems from addiction, the treatment is also then needed to be treated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's the always, effect of it. Yeah. There's always that extended step that almost that's, you know, is almost at times worse than the initial treatment. Right. Um, and I like that that kind of keeps the, the wrong man um, thriller a little more real, a little more suspect because far too often in these wrong man thrillers, the person comes from a very pure place of heart. They want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And of course their life gets torn down by that. Whereas as, as you put it, uh, Jason is just fantastic at playing an asshole. Um, he's really good. He is very, very unlikable. And I like how you used it, like almost his, his social media presence to present that unlikability because god damn it we all hate influencers it seems like so by putting him <laughs> online on a on a snapchat or a tiktok or something you're automatically like oh i hate this guy um and it reminded me a lot of um i recently rewatched these so that's probably why it reminded me a lot of alan j pakula's um conspiracy thrillers of the 70s mm -hmm. where like the, where in the parallax view it's warren Beatty, but man it's a really unlikable warren Beatty. Mm -hmm. yeah. um was it a conscious choice to kind of play into that, to make him feel so unlikable so that you really, for the longest time, don't necessarily know if you, you kind of want him to succeed and do well, but you feel like it's just not going to happen? Uh, was that a conscious choice for you folks? Yeah, we wanted his motivation to be a little muddled. Um, mm -hmm. 
he knows that it's eventually does know that it's the right thing to do, but he's also been a part of it. Um, you know, like Charlie says, okay, maybe you did fuck up the app, but okay, now you're not doing it. That's good. <laughs> okay. That's a step. Um, and like, is he just doing it to clear his name? Does he want to be this like golden boy again? Um, does he, you know, does he want his legacy to have that, um, you know, iconic nature around it? Is that why he's doing this? Um, so we liked really playing with this idea of why he's doing it. Um, but I, but I do think that it does. I, I like to think he redeems himself a bit by the end. He doesn't make the, always make the right decisions. No one's really making the right decisions in this. Um, but at the end, I do think they are trying to, <laughs> um, which, which is kind of our little, like, let's, let's try to do the, let's, let's, let's be aware of how we're all taking part in this system. And like, let's, let's try to take actions that, um, to do the right thing. But of course, you know, it's a movie, it's drama, it's excitement. So they don't always do it well. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that creates more tension and, and, you know, um, hijinks for them to get involved in. And he he very much, it's not a happy ending, but he very much earned the ending he got where he, yeah. again, to spoil this, um, he he does not make it to the end of the film. Yeah. And he, he, he's, he, he meets that end by confronting someone that he's needed to confront facing mm-hmm. pretty much the entire movie. And I really enjoyed that, that it didn't turn into a, hey, now we get a fist fight scene and that's how, you know, he's going to turn out on top. He's going to, yeah. you, know, you know, James Stewart is way out of this by punching, you know, <laughs> clocking the guy in the face and that's how it ends up. It's, the, the bad guys often <laughs> come out on top in these types of real life situations for a reason. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, that, yeah, that, that we did feel like Jason's story had come to an end and he, again, his kind of ego brought him to that ending as well. He didn't leave when Charlie says mm-hmm. to leave. He wants to do a little bit more. He wants to get more out there. He's changed, but he's still himself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it really felt natural that Charlie continue the story and like be kind of the end storyteller the end hero of of the film um and something that i don't know kind of maybe on a very deeper subtle level you know this is kind of about the opioid um crisis and kind of you know for-profit healthcare and um corporations involvement in that you know tragedy and so to have um ben the ceo kind of do this violence uh, at the end, instead of just through emails or board meetings or, you know, these kind of layered, removed ways that this harm is created, it did feel kind of powerful to see him do some violence um, because that is what he has been doing in very, like, removed layers. Um, yes. So kind of just on, like, a really, like, kind of personal story level, like, that was important to us as well. Yeah, some, like, literal blood on his hands, Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. again, yeah, isn't just on the keyboard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think... Where and where and how a lot of, I hope, at least a lot of these people can do these horrible things is they see the people that they're affecting as just numbers on the screen. And, you know, and it sort of is just numbers and it's just, you know, more fodder for the stockholders and whatever. So to kind of put it in that literal way and like literally pull the trigger, wanted to have, really, yeah, I wanted to follow through with that and feel like there, there was something. Well, th- these decisions do kill people. Yep. And, it's, Absolutely. and you, you, you folks put it in a very real, <laughs> you know, 
yeah. situation where, you know, he is the proverbial gun of this industry. Right. And they turn it on people all the time. And there's cost benefit analysis. And, you know, yeah. he, it's on the wrong side of that, that variable. He's on the wrong side of the equation. And that's very matter well, of fact. I find it interesting that like that that's kind of the showdown at the end and that he is face to face with Jason and like to compare those two characters because it, it does feel kind of like since Jason starts off he's kind of pushed in he's a very passive character at the beginning like he's only doing these things because he's motivated by survival because like you set the stakes up very clearly up front that he's lost his job he's living out of his van he's got to go to these rich people's houses and be reminded of the things that he used to have uh, to the point where like he gets pushed into heroism because he is willing to compromise his ethics to steal people's information, which I think is very interesting. And it made me wonder like the sliding doors idea of like, okay, let's say that if Jason was not fired, if he was promoted, like, you know, it seemed like he would have been on the cusp of being promoted. Like if he had been able to work his way up the ladder in this company, would he have been a part of this? Doxy yeah, scheme? Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that's, yeah, like, do you do you think that he would be, because, too, whenever he finds out the information, the first thing he does is he makes excuses for, exactly. uh, for Gary, right? Yeah. Gary, yeah. yeah. For yeah. Gary. Um, he's like, yeah, he's, he's a good guy, and, you know, the guy who later tries to kill him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do you, I mean, do you think that that's something that he would do? Like, do you think that he'd be willing to do that? Is it, is his hero heroism specifically just because he was pushed into it? Uh, yeah, Once I mean, he woken up to it, you know? Yeah. Did he finally see the truth a bit? Um, or did he really not have a choice? Right. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, Gary is the other side of that yeah. coin. Yeah. You know, they're like, besties. They were besties. They're besties and they would have been partners in crime in this thing, you know, yeah. had this extreme sort of, you know, a change of circumstance happened for him, for Jason. So I, I, hopefully that's kind of the you know the two-sided mirror of them when they're having their confrontation in the parking deck and everything that sort of sets up that duality that jason is really found a different perspective on this and gary is still stuck in it and that's where the the impasse is mm -hmm. it's like this very un uh interesting underlying like uh subtext of class mm. also that i love that that takes place in a parking garage <laughs> it's okay. another throwback right to the 70s thrillers it's like of course it's in a parking garage because that's where all the really cool confrontations happen <laughs> when there's a conspiracy involved <laughs> yeah right now it's over here yeah. lighting is moody it's half public half a little private and mm -hmm. yep. it's a good spot <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things that I love so much about the ending is, well, two things really. One, it it's not out of uh, nowhere. Like it, it was, it was very shocking, but it still totally felt like it fit within the tone of the movie. You know, it didn't feel like an out of place. Like what? How, how are they doing this? It was, yep, that is exactly what's going to happen. And the other thing that I love about it is uh, sort of the like midpoint bookend with the end of the movie where um where kira says to jason fuck them before they fuck you and mm -hmm. that is literally what happens at the end where he fucks uh the uh, what, what's the ceo's name i'm drawing a blank on it right now like like yeah so he fucks blake by sending out the email before yeah. blake fucks him by shooting him in the face and yeah, so i i just love that little uh that, that little midpoint uh book ending to really bring some closure uh, and speaking of people being fucked over, 
I've seen some of the interviews that Jason and uh, Devram have done with some Trump fans. <laughs> yeah. Was any part of this conspiracy element inspired by some of the responses that the, the people who have been so easily duped and fucked over, has any of that influenced uh, so, sort of the approach to, to the story? I, a, I, I don't know if I would yeah, say so. I, I wouldn't say directly. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would say that Jason and DeVram do have, again, kind of like a boldness to them for confrontation. And I think maybe that something in there um, felt resonant. Mm. Um, but I, that's a good that's a good observation. I, I wouldn't have put that in to think about. I mean, we love all those man in the street, you know, sort of yeah. things they do. They're amazing. And some of the responses are in are unbelievable and yes these people have been absolutely brainwashed you know in a very similar sort of fashion um but i i, I wouldn't say directly that 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 sort of influenced uh this i guess but yeah it, it, it just feels like that sort of thing where it's just like oh don't you know that the government's controlling the businesses and the businesses are controlling the vapes and they're only giving you the vapes so they can buy, get you to buy more vapes <laughs> like it sounds so <laughs> diluted but then as you're watching it roll out it's just like well yes obviously this is exactly what's happening so uh well that's what we we always talk about that you know conspiracy theories you're like well a lot of crazy things have happened i mean if you do break down how things work you're like that kind of sounds like a conspiracy and so right there's maybe one little nugget of truth about you know people you know hiding information to get away with what they want to get away with and that happens ubiquitously through every industry uh, <laughs> happened for four years between 2016 and 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a fascinating kind of area of society to look at and, you know, try to understand why these things happen, why these, these theories take off, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, doxy and the product and everything is, is just outside of, you know, what actually exists, today just hopefully just enough that it almost feels more real you know that's okay. kind of the hope it'll be a pro- it'll be a product within a month i feel like i really do it's gonna it's gonna be like near future vibe kind of thing. yeah yeah let's let's hope not but yeah that's <laughs> that's, that's you know uh, hopefully again it, it sort of then speaks to this sort of larger truth about industry selling you the disease and the cure you know and it's not exclusive to one product like oxycontin or something you know it's cigarettes and fucking potato chips it's yeah. like whatever else you yeah. know so like it's a it's a capitalist sort of cycle. Uh, cycle and for this to exist you really need the character of of ben horner's blake where Again, gives off very strong Donald Trump Jr. vibes where (laughs) he's he he might not be the smartest man in the room, to put it generously. Yeah. But he hires people who know what they're doing and then takes the credit. Yeah. So everyone thinks he is much more important than he really is to the whole system. Yeah. You you know that he's going to get thrown under the bus by his corporate overlords as soon as those emails continue to hit. He's got a real sense of unearned success to him. Which leads to one of my favorite scenes in the whole film, and that is the the phone sex call, where <laughs> yeah. his, his specific kink is poverty. Yeah, where the fact that to him, 
the most degrading thing he can think of is to have five dollars in his bank account. Yeah, yeah, and how that's really, really played on where, um, the for him the most degrading thing is the the no money, the no power. Being at the bottom of of the barrel is is where he would be at his lowest. Uh-huh. And I love that again. You said that the other side of that mirror for him is Jason who finds himself at that, that particular bottom and has to work his way up. And the, the, the balance between those two, how one has success that is unearned, mm-hmm. it feels like the other has earned that success and is trying to at least earn some of the, the integrity that should come with that back. Right. Um, how purposeful was that scene in kind of creating that character for Blake? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like... Does. <laughs> Jason, you know, he, he makes all these comments of like, oh my God, what a nice house. Oh, okay, it's better than my van. Oh, espresso machine. You know, he does still want that life. And I think yeah. that is our culture. We still, we know that those people are unhappy, morally compromised, hollow. But we still want <laughs> the, the amenities. House. We still want the house, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that was important. Um, and yeah, that, that Blake has is striving for that no matter what um even if it does lead to a total just degradation of his soul um and i think there's you know again kind of bringing back earlier talking about like you know if his jason's circumstance wouldn't have changed he was kind of on the trajectory of blake and i feel like you know that showdown at the very end they're they're not too different of people there's more similarities than differences almost Mm -hmm. you know at the end and i think that that duality I think is is important to talk about because it is a couple of decisions, a couple of yeah. circumstantial things That's... that can make your world completely different from someone else's where, mm-hmm. you know, and then you feel like you're different and then division, division, division. I, I just also want to note super quick uh, about Blake on the phone. One of my favorite lines, and again, balancing that tone between <clears throat> uh, humor and, and corporate thriller is when he says D like dinosaur scientist, that was all bad. <laughs> that was oh yeah, we're just like sitting behind the camera. Yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah, he just killed that. He is so funny. Ben is, I know. Like, it, what an actor. He, like, I mean, all of them so incredible. But watching Ben come on and just like nail every single take, you're just like, should we do another one? I mean, I just kind of want to watch. Yeah, it. And, like, <laughs> and he, you know, he obviously he can portray this like very kind of you know, brooding personality very well, but he has like such a good sense of humor. And yeah, I think so he funny. pulled in, you know, just some of the, like, I love the moment in the interview with him and, and the interviewer was like, well, that's all I need. He's like, Great. <laughs> you know, just kind of <laughs> little bit of affectations that he's got. He's, he's got a, a deep awareness of, yeah. the, of the comedy, I yeah. think within all of it. So he, yeah, it was a real pleasure to work with. So, so speaking of the cast, um, it's it's interesting to watch this movie and then think back on it and be like, oh, there are actually only like five major characters throughout this entire movie, which is very it, it's it's especially interesting to me because it's this movie feels so grand in scope. Um, you know, it's this huge conspiracy thriller. Thriller, you're you're giving me a thumbs up there, Ryan. So it sounds like you. <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, uh, we can kind of uh confirm for you that you you achieved what you were going for there uh, so i guess that's kind of what my question is is like how did you manage to make this movie feel like so big and comp- like this conspiracy like so large 
um, you know, with such a small cast of people. That, that was a, a real challenge for mm -hmm. sure. Um, you know, kind of two parts. One, it was tons of COVID restriction at the time. You know, we had to quarantine people. We could only... So we only had five people because we could only have five people like touch or be in the same space at any mm -hmm. time. So we had started maybe with eight or 10 in a script. And then we're just like, oh, that like, that's not going to work. And so we wrote them out and wrote them out um, until we just had five left. Yeah, cons <laughs> consolidated down. But I think it was a really good lesson in just distilling down, you know, what elements are really at play. Where is the scene going? Where does it need to be? what is the motivation of this character and that what is the role literally of this character in you know jason's journey and the, and the real where is yeah. it yeah what is the information so it was like it, it was tough tough love <laughs> um you know to give the script but um you know to really filter out that stuff and try to get to the essence of it um and and work with the circumstantial like covid restrictions on top of that and then you know, for the the scope of the whole story, again, it was kind of like initially thought of a, a lot larger. But then once we started bringing it down, we really kind of realized like it, it's about what you show, but it's also a lot about what you don't show. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you try and sell too much, like this is so big, like and you and you can't then then you would know that it wasn't up. that big. Yeah, if you right. try to you convince the audience the whole time, like trust us, this is a real product and everyone has it. And like, let's go into every home and show giant show billboards. Like one person holding it once. Yeah. And I think you just kind of infer, you know, a little bit more. And I think that intimacy of the spaces actually kind of helps with that. And you're not thinking about so much about where this product lives globally or something, but there's enough just little clues that let you know and you don't linger on it too much because it's not at the end of the day like so important that we know that about it it's more important mm. how the characters are involved with it so yeah. that was sort of the, the character first focus i think is how we try to take it absolutely i think it, I, I definitely think it helps to keep it more intimate like i feel like you can get even even just showing like the the close-ups of the spreadsheets and stuff whenever <laughs> you know you see all those big numbers on there you're like oh okay i can see like how huge this is and uh we still remain like kind of rooted to the story itself by just like caring about the characters in the film yeah. so bravo to you thank you, thank you very much. So much yeah and every single actor just killed it you know it, with it being such a small cast so much of the movie has to rest on their shoulders of can they play this convincingly can they get you to care about them you know like we talked about earlier Jason at the start of the movie, kind of an asshole, but like such a charming one that you are immediately on board. Yeah. And then when he's like, Lottie, fucking dots, like, but okay, you're an asshole, but I still kind of want you to do good. And, yeah. and then with Blake, the first time that you see him in that interview and he's just, you know, like leaning back and just like, uh-huh. It's like, oh yeah, you, you are a complete asshole. Totally know exactly who you are. So like you do such a great job of, of framing these characters and really getting to the core of who are they and, uh, you know, like what is their personality and what do we need to know about them to be invested? And everyone does an amazing job, but I especially want to highlight Carrie Young because she fucking killed it. Every oh, yeah. single scene, not to take anything away from Jason. Jason was great. I, I laughed every time that he was uh, being funny. I cared about him. He was charming. This is not taking anything away from him. Mm 
but every single time that Kara was on the, uh, on screen, it, it she she was great. She was perfect. I loved everything. So I've got another two part question specifically regarding Kara. One: Are we going to get a sequel uh, focusing <laughs> just on her? Because I need that. And yes. two: This this is a lesser question, but maybe inspiration for the first one uh the, the part of the campfire where she is talking to jason's recorder and mm. and like she puts on kind of like her podcasting voice she does such a great job that instantly i was getting some major adrian barbeau uh from the fog vibes so i would interesting i would <laughs> love <laughs> i would love to see like a Thelma and Louise like road movie with Adrian Barbeau and and oh Carrie Young where they are just being like sultry and like just owning everything. I need that movie to happen. So can can that please be the follow up? Yeah, I mean maybe Adrian, you know, is her uh, contact down in Belize, you know, and she goes down to <laughs> escape <laughs> extradition. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Kara is incredible. She, um, you know, she was introduced to us by a friend um, who was really tapped into the theater scene. And um, we auditioned her. We knew immediately that she had it, totally understood it, totally killed it. Mm -hmm. And she was just wonderful to work with on set. And I think it's, it's a fun thing to have her kind of sequestered to the computer for the first half of the movie and you kind of keep wanting more and then when she finally actually comes up in real time with Jason and we're in the scenes with her it's just so satisfying to really see her flourish and I think even though yes a whole movie could rest on her being made 100% no doubt about it um, I think that it's a fun element of this. And, it's, and of course, like ending with her and, and keeping her in mind, I think at the forefront as the credits are rolling and afterwards, I think is where we wanted to leave people. And, and she just makes such an indelible mark of the whole film for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, following up with, again, the, the small cast and crew. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this film is how, locations looked different um you, from the sounds that you did not have the ability to travel up and down the eastern seaboard to go to an airport to go to a rich person's to go to all these different places but yet um from the setting of the van to the empty house where where blake was staying to the house with all the i mean not where blake was where um the other guy the best friend was staying to oh, the fully furnished wonderful ikea catalog house with blake um the film had such a very good look to it. So of course I'm going to look up the cinematographer for the film, which surprise is you, Ryan. <laughs> um, you know, you guys wore multiple hats, this writers, directors, editors, cinematographers. Um, I was actually a little bit disappointed to find out someone else did the wonderful music. I was expecting one of your names to pop up. Oh, on that the man. <laughs> um, how did those divisions of labor come about other than i'm assuming a lot of it was due to necessity but beyond that how did how did you pick what who was doing what and how did, how did you establish those those different looks for everything that you did for roles like ryan is a professional cinematographer i worked professionally as a producer 
So we kind of just went with our strengths um, mm-hmm. and we've written and directed together before and knew that we wanted to do it together. So then, I mean, Ryan also produced it as well. Like I, we just did what we needed to do kind of, but luckily we did have like many years of experience leading up to it to say like, okay, I'm confident I can do this. Um, and then the people on the crew are also just like incredible artists um and we're so down to just support in all these different ways so i really think if we didn't have such amazing yes you know small but incredible artists around us there's just absolutely no way and they were all just so encouraging and thoughtful and innovative and we all just like made it work all the time and there really wasn't a question if you know we were going to get the shot or not it's like oh maybe we'll try it this way oh look we can do it this way um so really just felt like we're all you know we're all filmmakers we're all making this together um and then in terms of of like our look and locations i mean we shot in middletown connecticut which shout out they were incredible like really hooked us up with amazing just like public locations or like names of private contacts to get in touch with and people are just super supportive when you're not shooting in new york and la people like making movies it's great Um, (laughs) and so i do think like we do have a lot of locations in the film um for like such a small film i think um but i do think that helps keep it interesting and keeps him bopping around and keeps us you know, feel like we're really taking a journey throughout the whole thing um, to kind of visually, you know, you know, we only have five characters, but we are visually changing it up a lot, I think, um, which helps it feel like exciting and moving along. Um, yeah. And I think we were only able to do all of those company moves because the crew was so small. Yeah, that's the other thing. So, you know, something that can be seen as a disadvantage. You could do like four in one day. Yeah, you know, and and really, we're very mobile and flexible in that way, which which was awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, as far as shooting it goes, like, I think because during the writing process and 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 shooting and producing it, you know, shot listing and shot design and blocking all just kind of came out of those conversations sort of so naturally that we were already thinking about, okay, this is how we got to cover it. This is how we're going to do it. And so it just kind of became a natural kind of progression in that way. And, um, you know, to shout out my crew, Ramel Genciana, Gaffer, Nikita Carpenter, AC, and Stephen Rathier, who is key grip and steady cam up. Um, bopping back and forth. And we were lucky enough to have two camera bodies. So we had one A cam kind of like always built. And then we always had the second body on the steady cam. So we could kind of like swap back and forth. And that also made it possible for us to move quickly and get through the scenes. And, you know, we were really, again, trying to kind of stay like character centric in the blocking and stuff. And so we really wanted to just try and showcase that as much as possible. So when it came to lighting and everything, like each of these locations really kind of try trying to be as influenced by the locations and the restrictions within the locations as much as possible, because I think that ultimately gives each one a more unique look. Um, and we, didn't have very many, you know, we had a, a small, uh, you know, G&E truck, if you even want to call it that. It wasn't even a truck. Um, we had a truck. 14-foot. A 14-foot truck. Um, but few units to kind of um, set up a sort of like rinse and repeat process of like, here's the big key light, here's the big whatever, and really tried to respond to the location to make them, again, feel more unique. And and I think, again, that when they're all more unique, each one feels 
separate, the whole thing adds up a little more, it becomes a little bigger. And hopefully that adds to the, you know, the scope, um, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing. And how did P. Rose get involved? Well, I was a fanboy. Fanboy, yeah. I'm just like straight up fan of Scoob Paul Rose, a- aka Scuba, um, who's a London based musician, artist, record label owner, and um, just a real big fan. And even from, you know, the, the very early days of the outline of the story. Um, I like to make like little kind of uh, mixtapes of just like inspirational music and stuff like that when I start writing. And he had this song that I just kept using, you know, and that kept coming up. And then when we first kind of sat down with the footage, I was was using it in this temp track. And I was like, man, we should just like, like cold call reach out. And we did. And you know, it, it all ended up coming together and he was just an absolute joy to work yeah, with. Yeah, great collaborator. Great collaborator. And I think he really helps blend the tone of bringing out the comedy, bringing out the tension and and everything sort of in between. It really helps, I think, signify to the audience, even though sometimes I think it's intentionally a little ambiguous whether something's like supposed to be funny or not or whatever. I think he's kind of helping guide just a little bit extra that um, we needed. And he just totally killed it. It was great to work with him. Yeah. The the music definitely contributed to it because uh, I I think that it was during the opening scene, there were just a few little, uh, a few little themes that kept popping up that reminded me of the Axel F theme from Beverly Hills cop. And Harold Faltemeyer, absolutely uh, an influence for sure. I think we've had that in our, like vibes playlist, some Harold. Yeah, some Harold Faltemeyer for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Axel F, uh, um, a seminal work, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and again, something you know that that film definitely also a, an influence on this. Of you know, you know, in the beginning of that movie when his partner dies, it's a really kind of somber, serious scene, you know, and it like plays it so well. And then the comedy ensues, and he take it seriously too. So that. That helped, you know, certainly paved the way um, for us. Yeah, if, if I were to do a triple feature of this movie, uh, I actually would probably do Opportunity Knocks and then Blow Up My Life <laughs> and then Beverly Hills Cop. I, I feel like that would be a nice balance of staying a little bit more on the pure comedy side and then uh, going a little bit more into the darker by the time you get to Beverly Hills Cop. But, uh, mm. but yeah, that I, I feel like that's where this movie fits on the spectrum. And, and I mean that like with all sincerity and uh, hopefully it's coming across as a compliment with the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I know not everyone loves that movie, but I watched that just so many times as a kid. So yeah, yeah I had the exact, the music, especially I had some strong Beverly Hills cop vibes too. I even had that in my notes. No way. Um, and he did, uh, you know, the Fletch theme, Harold Faltemeyer did the Fletch. Oh, of course. Did Fletch. He, yeah. We were, definitely had on our inf- you know uh reference list for mm-hmm. for scuba that's awesome oh man i want to ask you about that reference list but we are coming kind of close to <laughs> to our time limit here so uh i guess what i'll what we'll end with is just to ask you all is there is there anything else about the movie that you want to discuss that maybe we didn't touch on in our questions or just something you want to highlight about the film before we head out Oh man, I feel like this was such an in-depth conversation. Thank you for letting us just like yeah, just pour just out riff. everything we love talking about, which is the movie. Um, 
Yeah. And our wonderful collaborators yeah. that made it possible. I mean, we we wore a lot of hats for sure, but you absolutely it takes yeah. a team in a village and, you know, in all the the stages of the process. Because um, each person brings something that you just in your own life experience and limits of your imagination cannot get to by yourself. Yeah. You know, everyone just pushes, 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 and you just end up with something so much greater than you could have done on your own. Yeah. So it is such an exciting art form. All the actors contributed so much to their characters, to the tone, to, you know, the, the, the morale, you know, their excitement and enthusiasm mm -hmm. helped bring the crew through and, and vice versa, the crew's enthusiasm helped bring, you know, and professionalism helped bring the actors out and, you know, to do their best. So we can't be, couldn't be happier about yeah. all of the people that, you know, made this possible. Have a long live indie film. Yeah, long That's live indie film. <laughs> For real, like this, this was a very, very homegrown kind of thing. And, you know, we've kept it, kept it indie. We're self-distributing it. It's going to be out in September on you know vod and stuff and uh it's been a, a very educational humbling thrilling uh journey making this and so yeah that's a good note yeah to, that's a good note <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, again we absolutely loved it uh it, you answer one of my questions preemptively of what's next for it uh so where can people follow you uh or or the film you know what what social media presence or or website you know where, where do you want people going if they want to uh, to find more information uh, either about yourselves or about the film so our website is below my life dot com <laughs> <laughs> pretty self-explanatory and our instagram is below my life movie um, yeah, blow my life underscore, underscore movie on Instagram. So we just been, you know, we've been posting updates there, and we'll definitely post about like we'll have a trailer coming out soon, um, and then like for our September digital release, and then hopefully some a few in person events to just you know celebrate everyone's hard work yeah. and, and you know party because that's what you really want to do at the end of making a film. So, um, so yeah, those are those will be places to update uh, everyone about what's next. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for talking with us. We we thank love the movie. So had an absolute blast uh, talking uh, talking about it with you. And now go enjoy the rest of Chat Film Fest. There's still a few more days left. There's still a lot of great movies to see. Um, and and be sure to follow us at linktree.com/videomonsterpod so that you can get you know all the links to our socials and uh, upcoming episodes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so yeah. Again, thank you so so very much for joining us. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Thank you for watching. Yeah, this is great. And thank you for everyone watching the movie. Thank you for watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's been it for uh, Video Monsters at Chat Film Fest. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.